The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. And welcome once again to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai, and joining me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, sir? I'm really well, thank you, mate. How's yourself? Absolutely buzzing at the moment. Absolutely (laughs) buzzing. I feel like I'm... You know, flying through the air on a big buzz of adrenaline, my friend. Uh, at time of recording, I've literally just in the last hour watched my beloved Manchester United end a several-year trophy drought. Um, I watched it with my wife and my United crazy middle daughter. It's been a wonderful afternoon, I can tell you that, bud. Nah, that, that's brilliant, mate. Very much so, very much so. So I am quite excitable this week, Danny, quite excitable. <laughs> definitely mate. i remember you warned me yesterday if they lost you would be quite grumpy <laughs> uh yeah i didn't quite know when we arranged the timing of this recording i didn't quite know my mood when we got round <laughs> to pressing the little red button but thankfully uh the lads did the business so yeah, yeah great stuff definitely. but this is not a manchester united podcast but maybe that's an idea for the future who knows no i'm far too busy <laughs> uh, this is not a manchester united podcast this is nitro nights looking at the crazy world of WCW from the very first episode of Monday Nitro in September 1995, taking in all the funders, Clash of Champions, pay-per-views and episodes of Nitro right the way up until the company's demise in 2001. And today we are looking at the Monday Nitro that first was broadcast on the 29th of July 1996. It comes to us once again from the disney mgm studios which i still love as a little setting i think it's fantastic the tv ratings that particular monday night saw another win for nitro with a 3.1 in comparison to monday night raw's 2.1 so quite a substantial victory for nitro there on monday night raw danny on this particular evening 29th of july 96 we saw psycho sid defeating justin bradshaw by disqualification after just 45 seconds, Sid does not get paid the longer he's in the ring, does he? Let's be honest. Oh, he does not. <laughs> Vader defeated Mark Mira 
British Bulldog defeated Henry Godwin. Uh, Owen Hart did guest commentary for the match, so I suppose that's one aspect that could have been entertaining. And in the main event, we had Steve Austin defeating The Undertaker via count out after The Undertaker just followed Mankind backstage, apparently. So again, when we get into what we're about to talk about, in comparison to the other channel, you've got Henry Godwin, Mark Miro, uh, Justin Bradshaw, and a 45 minute, a 45 second, apologies, uh, DQ decision. You can kind of see why people are turning the channel over to Nitro again, can't you? Oh, definitely, mate. It's, it's just night and day. It is indeed. It is indeed. So, uh, before we get into what happened on the Monday night, I guess we'd better have a little check back at what happened a few days beforehand on Saturday night. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Danny, what happened on WCW Saturday night this week? Well, uh, this week, uh, this was um, shown on uh, July the 27th, Saturday. Um, we had less matches I was quite surprised by. We had uh, the opener was Dean Malenko beating Dave Taylor. Okay. Yep. And then we had um, the Four Horsemen in action. We had Ric Flair, Chris Benoit and Mongo and on uh, beating Chavo Guerrero, Scotty Riggs, Buff Bagwell or Marcus Bagwell and... Our favourite, um, Jim Powers. Bloody, that's quite a mix of a tag team, isn't it? Yeah. Charvo Guerrero being chucked in with that. Oh my goodness, that's that's <laughs> quite a that's quite a peculiar mix. That. Yeah. Uh, speaking of mix, we had um, Sting and Macho Man Randy Savage beating the Nasty Boys, and that must have been good. That feels like it belongs in 1995, though, to me. <laughs> I can imagine that having took place on a. An, an early Nitro that we covered, like a, a 1995 yeah. Nitro. Do you know what I mean? That does, mate. That does. But it doesn't stop there. We have um, the Steiner brothers beating Dick Slater and Mike Enos in the semi-main event. Okay. What were they called? Is it tough? Uh, no, no, rough, rough, and, rough and ready. Rough and ready. There we go. Okay. Yep. And then the main event, uh, which I was blown away by, I have to I have to track this one down later. We have the Giant uh, defeating the Booty Man. Oh, God, is he still a thing? Yeah, he was on Saturday night now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. I mean, I suppose Kimberly was with him, dressed in her yeah. beauty babe getup. That's one aspect. I suppose I could tolerate Ed Leslie on my television if we spend a lot of time looking at the beauty babe on the outside of the ring. Yeah, <laughs> as anyone could. But I was shocked by that because the Giants heading in to face Hulk Hogan at Hogwild. So why not take on his, be- or his former best friend on Saturday night? <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> also, the main talking point of this Saturday night was um, there was well, they show it on Nitro on this Nitro as well, but there was an attack angle after it, wasn't there? But I mean, we can get into that on the uh, on the show. Yeah, I mean, we might as well jump pretty much straight into it, Danny, because it does effectively start the show, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, we have um, on Nitro, we have our usual opening commentary team, I guess, because they have the gimmick of switching halfway through the show. Uh, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco are there. They run through the card, and apparently we're going to see the Giant take on Arn Anderson for the World Championship, which is you know sounds fantastic. We're going to see Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio for the Cruiserweight title. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And we're also going to see a six-man tag with members of the Horsemen taking on Sting, Luger, and Savage. So it's put up like a stacked card. We then have a bit more talk about the NWO by Tony and Larry there. 
And that's when we cut to Saturday night and we get a recap on Nitro of what you would have seen already on the Saturday night program, Danny. So talk us through what happens. Yep. So Sting and Lex Luger are just making their way to the uh, car. So t- this is after the uh, show ended and they basically get attacked by Hall and Nash. And uh, it's quite a brutal looking attack because Lex Luger's called in to- for a phone call and they just gang up on Sting and attack him, which I found weird because... Lex Luger wasn't on that Saturday night. It was Sting uh, teaming with the Macho Man. So I found that a bit weird. But um, yeah, Sting was just taken out. Well, perhaps Luger was just there with his mates, potentially. Ah. Perhaps, you know, there was a shortage of baby oil on that Saturday night. So Luger (laughs) had to arrive with his mass, you know, stock supply of baby oil. I don't know. Yeah. But no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. And when we get the recap of it on Nitro as well, obviously I didn't see the Saturday night, but I saw the recap. It's filmed... You've got the outsiders there waiting, sort of, you know, loitering, lurking in the darkness. And the camera work is very shaky, very shoddy, very, I suppose, um, amateur, I guess is the word I'm searching for. And to me, it just adds to the realism of it. If you had, and again, we come back to uh, WWE and especially the modern day product. The amount of times you see somebody jumped in a parking lot or jumped in the, the entrance to the arena or they're walking to to the venue, whatever and they happen to have a TV crew with them is a little bit, it kind of takes away from the realism, doesn't it? Because obviously it's yeah. being set, you know, we all know how wrestling works, of course, but when I'm watching the show, I want to, I want to lose myself in the product. I want to have my suspension of disbelief um, fully backed up and, and sort of honored, I guess, from the people who put these TV shows on for us. Yeah. So when you have TV cameras and lighting and the proper production, for these moments of people walking backstage or in catering or, or loading their car and they're attacked, it takes me at the moment. I mean, even my youngest daughter will say, well, why is the camera even there? Which is a shame for me because at that age, she shouldn't be noticing those things. Yeah. However, with the Hall and Nash attack on Sting and when they're slamming him in the boot of the car and so on, it, again, it felt real because it wasn't, it wasn't filmed like it was part of the show. And I think that's a really clever aspect of the whole NWO angle that seems to be running pretty much from the very start right the way through to where we are now, Danny. Absolutely, mate. I mean, it's just like anything. When you go on YouTube and um, look for fights in car parks or something, it's never just having the perfect lighting. It's always dodgy. You can barely see anything. But, yeah, you're damn right. This did feel real. (laughs) Mm. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, With regards to this, then, the opening of the show, Tony and Larry talk about the NWO and then they talk about the Outsiders on Saturday night and so on. Larry Zabisco has taken to calling the NWO the New World Order. He started referring to them as the New World Odor. Now, the first time I heard that, I'm not going to lie, it did make me chuckle a little bit. Yeah. But he must have said it 15 bloody times in the opening (laughs) three minutes of this show. It's almost like a kid who all of a sudden has realized that he made somebody laugh doing something once so now he wants to do it a hundred times yeah did uh, did it wear a bit thin for you danny or did it not really bother you as much no it definitely did he just overused it but um yeah i'm with you the first time it was was pretty funny but yeah it got got old really fast Mm, it did indeed um this episode of nitro i think is going to be a little bit it's more it's different to what we're used to and anyone who recognizes the date and knows the NWO or WCW timeline will be aware of what happens on this show already, no doubt. 
But this episode of Nitro isn't full of wrestling. It's not got masses of big names competing in matches, despite the rundown of the cards that were given when we first have the show open. It's very much dominated by, I suppose, a backstage moment or an angle and so on. And it dominates the show not only in the amount of time is dedicated to this segment. It dominates the show from that moment onwards with regards to changing matches and the, the, the general feel of the show and the conversations that people are having. Now, part of me toyed with the idea of speaking to you, Danny, and saying, let's just quickly run through the card and then cover the, the big aspect at the end, because it's really the only massive talking point on this episode. Yeah. But then I thought, well, it doesn't quite work because we still need to cover what happens after it and we will have the wrong level of context. So I'm thinking we'll run through the show as we normally do. But once the moment that I'm referring to that I'm sure you're aware of uh, occurs, there's not much for us more to cover afterwards, is there? Let's be honest. No, there's not. There's not, mate. But um, yeah, I'm fine with that run run through as well. Okay, great. Uh, You mentioned the tag team of... Uh, rough and ready on saturday night we have one half of those here it is rough and ready isn't it yeah yeah it is yeah rough i don't know why i struggle with that name i, mean, I suppose it's because we haven't seen them very much we've seen them maybe once or twice on nitro yeah they're, so, pretty, they're a pretty new uh, tag team yeah i mean i don't know i, I keep going to call them tough and something but that makes no sense with tough and teddy that doesn't make any sense does it like, be <laughs> no, walking, it doesn't, but i like it <laughs> walking to the ring with their you know their, their cuddly bears or whatever that would a completely different atmosphere when they enter the arena if they're walking in with stuffed toys um <laughs> you know what though if they were if they were managed by teddy long they could have been uh oh, tough and teddy. that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> <laughs> but yes one half of um rough and ready tough and teddy slow and steady i don't freaking know <laughs> um mike enos of beverly brothers fame is taking on hacksaw jim duggan and straight away i thought to myself okay that doesn't feel like a nitro match unless it was 1995 nitro this feels like again a step backwards from where we are with the nwo stuff i guess yeah i mean this i this to me, I just wasn't happy with this match. I mean, we're we're gonna break it down in a minute anyway, but this went on far too long for me. Yeah, and again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, I guess, because we do get uh, two matches that that happen before the big moment with the outsiders and so on that's coming up in the show that we're going to speak about momentarily, and they do tend to feel quite long, the both of them, and this opener between Enos and Duggan feels quite long in a bad way but the match that follows is, is the the four horsemen team taking on sting luger and savage that goes quite a long time as well yeah but i didn't mind it with that it felt long for a tv match but at the same time quite exciting enos versus duggan it <laughs> i don't know it just i mean it's full of punchy kicky bullshit for a start Let, let's get that comment out the way we know that's th- that was coming with regards to a match that involves these two individuals I mean, aside from that, there's not masses going on. We have Mike Enos using chin locks a great deal for what seems like a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, Duggan and Enos take it in turns, sending the other to the outside before we then get comments from commentary about there being four empty seats opposite the hard cam. Is that for the NWO? 
And then Larry Zbysko points out to Tony Schiavone, well, there's only three members of the NWO. And Tony's talking about how panicked he is and what's going on, doesn't know if there's going to be a fourth member and so on. So obviously that those seats end up being just empty because somebody's gone to the toilet or they've not arrived yet or whatever, who knows. But I thought that was quite clever of Schiavone to point that out and throw a little bit of doubt into what's going on. Yeah, do you know what? I fell for that. I really thought that was a botch by Tony Schiavone. And it wasn't. It was part of the story. And I was sucked in and I was thinking, ah, oh, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it wouldn't happen on WWE TV. No. If those if those seats were not empty for a storyline reason, I mean, they actually employ um, what they call seat fillers, don't they? Yeah. So when people get up to go to the toilet, they have people who will fill their seat so that if a hard cam spans across, the, the arena always looks full from their production. And that's why they have the, it looks like they're always in front of these huge, elaborate um, packed arenas and so on. Quite a clever little ploy from a television production standpoint. Here in WCW, they just try and explain it away as, oh, maybe it's the outsiders, not just, you know, a, fa- a family nipped off for a hot dog or something. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll credit to WCW for that because it was like, wow. I mean, at first, that's what I wrote down. I was like, that was a mistake, especially the tone in which Tony Schiavone said it. I was like, this has got to be a mistake. But later on, we find out why he said that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Mike Enos misses a top rope splash. Um, well, there's a few shoulder tackles before that. It's very, it's very eighties, very stripped back, very primitive sort of, like I said, kicky, punchy bullshit. Enos misses a top rope splash before Duggan does the whole taped fist gimmick again. Um, punches Enos for the win. I mean, the taped fist thing—that's obviously still going on. Then, I guess. Yeah, I, I thought we were done with that by now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still don't understand it fully, but never mind. Um, <laughs> after the match, uh, Mean Gene is with our Victor in Jim Duggan, and they talk a bit more NWO. Duggan explains that, you know, he was Hogan's friend for 20 years. He followed him around and worked in various companies with him and so on. And he's disappointed with Hogan's actions. And I'm enjoying this by Duggan because it's not the usual shitey USA ho stuff that we get from Jim Duggan. It's not cartoony. It almost feels like we're getting Jim Duggan the person as opposed to Jim Duggan Hacksaw the character. Yeah. And then he goes and takes away any sense of realism from it by saying, Hogan, I know you're a great technical wrestler. And it's like, <laughs> mm, really? <laughs> <laughs> I've missed I must have missed that line, but yeah. Oh wow, what a stinker. What yeah. a stinker. You did yourself no favours there, Jim. No. <laughs> <laughs> if people were questioning his intelligence beforehand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> uh, but he then goes on to say, and I suppose it's tr- he's using it to try and get this line out. He then goes on to say um, I don't want to wrestle you, though. I just want to fight you. I just want to beat you up. So I liked that from Doug, and that, that was yeah. quite a good ending to the promo. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just taking away that comment he made about the technical wrestler, um, this was probably my favourite Hacksaw promo um, up to this point because um, he really got emotional, and, it was, and people know that he is uh, good friends with Hulk Hogan, and so it was very, very real to accept. Mm, yes. Yeah, and again... Jim Duggan, big favourite of mine when I was a kid and, and so yeah. on. One of the nicest blokes in wrestling. Uh, this is followed by our six-man tag. And I was very excited about this. Again, this now feels like a pay-per-view match because we have the horseman team of Ric Flair, 
Arn Anderson. No, sorry. Apologies. No, not Arn Anderson. He's busy this evening. We have Ric Flair, Chris Benoit, and Mongo McMichael taking on the team of Sting, Luger, and Savage. So that's a lot of big, big, high-profile names in this match. And the, the contest begins with chaos. Everyone's fighting on the outside and so on. And then it goes to a break, comes back for the bell to ring and has to start the tag match properly. And I understand it's live television and they've got a two hour program. They have to have ad breaks in there. And sometimes it's quite jarring where they drop these ad breaks in. But I thought this was done very, very cleverly. Yeah, it really was. Um, What I liked about um, Tony Schiavone at this point was as soon as he saw Sting on camera, he immediately said, oh, Sting uh, suffered minor injuries on Saturday, but he's here tonight because I was thinking, oh, Sting's going to show up with like a bandage or something. But the fact that Tony Schiavone saved that because if Sting mm. had just walked out there just with no, no explanation that he's been attacked two days before, it would have um, wouldn't have went down well. But I'm glad Tony Schiavone said that. Yeah, yeah, he covered it, covered it very well, I think. Yeah. Um, the ad break is also, you know, interspersed with a Glacier promo, Danny. <laughs> yeah, just... It, just, just Glacier. Yeah, just get no more coming to WCW. <laughs> no, it's not. I think maybe this is it. This is they're, they're saying this is Glacier. Enjoy him whilst he's on the ads because he's not <laughs> arriving anymore. Uh, <laughs> and again, another week goes by where it's just a promo, and I'm sick of this shit now. Um, <laughs> Flair versus Sting. Their interactions early on in the match are, are, as always, just complete gold. Flair and Sting is just superb they wrestle on the first nitro the last nitro god knows how many times in between these guys could put on a decent match in their sleep i think yeah absolutely mate. i mean they just know each other so well Mm, yes um savage tags in and starts pointing at liz and running his mouth to which rick flair jumps out the ring drops down to the floor and gives miss elizabeth a big kiss and i got a massive kick out of that what a nasty bastard he is Oh, it's such a shit heel, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's proper nasty. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but I love the uh, impromptu food fight we got in this match as well. <laughs> okay, go on. Yeah, so um, Ric Flair dives out the ring. Macho Man follows him, and then they end up at the VIP table, and then uh, they end up uh, just throwing food at each other at one point, <laughs> which I I just found hilarious. <laughs> you know Vince McMahon on the other channel. As um, a cine clip of that, and thought, my God, we've got to sign both those guys because he loves a food fight, doesn't he? Oh, big time, big time. Uh, Mongo and Luger tag in. Luger gets a great reaction from the fans; they're all chanting his name, and we get, you know, the usual kind of stuff from Mongo: a few shoulder barges, a couple of clotheslines, and so on. And he looks fairly comfortable with what he's working with there. Yeah. Until we get headlock spot, Danny, and. Luger looks like he wants to just send him into the ropes and then maybe take a shoulder block or a clothesline on the way back out. And so a spot we've seen in pretty much every wrestling match since the beginning of professional wrestling. However, there seems to be a bit of a miscommunication or perhaps uh, Luger is stronger than he thought he was. I doubt it because Luger loves himself, but uh, <laughs> or maybe Mongo just lost his footing because Luger goes to send McMichael into the ropes but Michael doesn't quite look like he's ready to let go of the headlock yet. They slip apart from each other, again, probably down to all the baby oil Lex is wearing. Yeah. And there's a massive stumble by McMichael. He hits the ropes quite awkwardly and falls out the ring. And it just kind of, again, showed how green and how inexperienced Mongo McMichael is at this point of his in-ring career for me. 
Yeah, I, I did feel bad for Mongo there, but um, I think he recovered well. Mm. Yeah, he did okay after that. There was quite a stiff clothesline to Sting in the corner that looked quite yeah. good from him and so on. And after that, we kind of get, I suppose, the way these things should be done. Mongo doesn't get that much involved. And we have Benoit and Flair carrying the workload for the horseman. And Mongo coming in, hitting a couple of shots and getting back out again. So almost protecting him, like not not exposing his shortcomings, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Benoit does take control, as I said. Uh, Luger eventually tags Sting in. Hits a huge superplex on Ric Flair after a few moves and a few uh, a few interactions there, and it's at this point I've stopped. I've sort of got two notes for myself here that say this is long for a TV match, but also it feels really fast. As in that the match itself feels long, but the action we're seeing feels at quite a tempo, Danny. It really does, and that's what I wrote down as well. As Chris Benoit was bumping very, very hard um, for Sting and Lex Luger. I noticed he was all over the place. He was, it was like he was also. Um, you don't want to say he was uh, doing Mongo's work, but he was what he was putting a shift in, wasn't he? Mm. He was indeed. He was indeed. Uh, we then get you know Benoit hitting a few snap suplexes, and then he he applies that kind of lion tamer. Um, high Boston Crab Wars of Jericho effort again on Sting, uh, and there's a bit more, you know, back and forth, and eventually Luger tags back in, and so on. But this brings us now to what dominates this episode of Nitro, because during this match, Jimmy Hart comes out, which I thought was odd because he's not really linked with anybody here, and Hart's shouting and yelling about the outsiders, and he's all flustered and making a making a big nuisance of himself. Jimmy Hart then jumps up on the apron and starts trying to get Lex Luger's attention in the ring. And everyone's just bloody ignoring him and carrying on, really, for a while, aren't they? <laughs> as Bef- they should. <laughs> yeah, as they should. Yeah, correct. Uh, until eventually he manages to get the attention of Sting, Luger, and so on. And the outsiders are at the back. The outsiders are, you know, there at MGM Studios and they're beating people up and so on and they're causing trouble. But before we, we we get to that, Asai, we have Scottish Daniel's limo count number five. Ah, there we go. Five <laughs> already. Five already. Well, well, that's flying up, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's absolute chaos when, when we get back there because, I mean, there's a camera sent back there. And again, it then comes across as more unprofessional filming. The production levels drop because they're in an area that's not set up for television, which, again, I think is a lovely touch. And it, uh, there's Scott Hall, there's Kevin Nash, Marcus Alexander Bagwell is on the floor, having been beaten up, and it's quite a scene of carnage, Danny, isn't it? It really is, mate. Um, just a lot of attacking going on, baseball bats being used. Um, I made a note here saying, I've never seen this before, because on all the documentaries, they just show Kevin Nash throwing Rey Mysterio into the um, trailer. Yes. And that is it. And it cuts away straight after that. It does not show the amount of stuff we've seen. Um, this went on well over 10 minutes, didn't it? It was, it was, I mean, there was so much good stuff here. Um, you just wouldn't know it ever existed if you hadn't sat down and watched this full episode. You're absolutely spot on. I mean, I totally forgot about it. Mm. When I I saw the the whole thing of all the the outsiders right around the back and so on, and the camera then cuts to the scene of Nash and Hall and the bats and Arn is already on the floor at that point, isn't he? Holding his arm. Yeah. Yeah. 
and um, Bagwell's been attacked as well. I think Scotty Riggs has taken a beating as well, oh, potentially. Yes. Scotty Riggs looked dead completely. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, fantastic, fantastically done. It looks incredibly yeah. serious, these attacks. And then we see, I'm looking at that scene, I'm thinking, okay, this is when Rey Mysterio gets thrown like a javelin into the, into the <laughs> wall. I remember seeing this. But it wasn't until the rest of it started to develop that I remembered everything else around it. It's been that long since I've seen this. And it really, to me, it really takes away from how big a moment this is when you look at the DVDs or the recaps and so on that the WWE put out now with regards to only showing the Rey Mysterio moment, which is quite iconic. I mean, if anyone's not seen it, I imagine you have, but if anyone's not seen it, Rey jumps off the top of the building gets caught by Kevin Nash and it's just literally thrown like a long dart as they describe it on the television, but like, like I suppose like a javelin or whatever head first straight into the wall. And the noise is horrific. And of course he's quite a distance from this wall as well. It's not like he's you know, right next to it and takes a soft bump. It looked brutal. Yeah. And all of this just, I mean, it's hard to describe because all of it just felt so real. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes, totally. I mean, I'll run for a few a few other points that we have here, and you jump in anytime you want to add anything, uh, yeah. Danny. But yeah, th- this happens. Um, <laughs> there's a bit more of a scrap. More people are arriving, but the damage has effectively been done, and the the outsiders leave in the limo. Randy Savage jumps on top of the limo, but the the limo still drives away, and <laughs> he disappears off with them. Um, we hear that the police have been called. There's sirens. Um, this is when we really get a good look at Arn Anderson, who is selling his his arm like it's been smashed to pieces. It's been broken. Uh, there's various people around. And this is something else that I think really adds to the realism of it. Because we've got baby faces and heels united. Yeah. We've got the horsemen there with Alex Wright, with Sting, with Savage, and, and all this stuff. It's... It, it really it feels like somebody has just got into MGM MGM Studios and attacked a wrestler, and the dressing room is out there to protect them. Bang on, mate! You've just said it perfectly. Um, I did make a note as well of um, when Macho Man jumps on top of the limo. You could hear uh, just a random woman screaming, like, it, like she was like, "Call the police!" And I was just thinking, I remember reading about something like this, that the police were actually called for real um, during this, but um, I didn't know why. Maybe it was because of that woman. <laughs> there, there were um, calls for, uh, made to the police in in the area as well. Mm. Um, and I've got a little bit here from uh, Eric Bischoff talking about about it and so on and saying that, People called the police. Um, it's not something that they thought about would happen, uh, but it it was an added, you know, sort of layer to this to this story. Um, Orlando police were showing up because people were genuinely calling nine one one. They thought there was a murder going on backstage because they'd never heard anything like it. Oh, wow! Uh, these are direct quotes from Bischoff. I don't know how how accurate these are, of course, but this is from yeah. Mr. Bischoff himself. Um, you didn't see ambulances or anything remotely close to this scene before, whether that was via wrestling or at Disney MGM and people around it really thought it was a proper situation. And with that, you get the, the added moment where the, the, um, 
ambulance people, the the paramedics, I suppose, in this country they're referred to, uh, remove Rey Mysterio's mask to treat him. So straight away, it doesn't feel like a wrestling angle there because that, that does not happen. And it's even touched upon on the commentary. And the commentary itself, there are long moments of this because it's quite a sustained thing. The attack is the attack is a few minutes. We've, we feel like we've kind of caught the trail end of the attack. But then the, the, the carnage that is left, it goes on for quite a while. Yeah. We go to two ad breaks, I think. Maybe, definitely at least one anyway. Yeah. And you've got women screaming and yelling and visibly upset. Uh, you've got yeah, you've got all sorts of people showing emotion that is out of character. You get the, the removal of Ray's mask. You don't see his face, but it is what it is. And all this is going on. It just genuinely feels serious. It feels really, you know, deadly, deadly serious. And that's added to, I think, because of the way the commentary is done. We get moments where Larry Zavisco and Tony Schiavone are talking, but they're talking in a very solemn tone, a very serious tone, a very concerned, you know, yeah, very concerned voices, very concerned tone to them. And there's long periods where they say nothing at all. Yeah. So the audio that we're getting as the viewer is various voices shouting and yelling and mongo's going mad saying this has to stop we've got to get these guys and all this sort of stuff you've got alex Wright in the background trying to talk to people and you know get help because um scotty riggs is has been busted up and woman is mortified by what's happening to Arn anderson she is genuinely concerned the whole time you've got the paramedics i mean a fire truck arrives ambulances arrive you've got the sirens going on in the background and you've got all these um, these these service people from, from from the ambulance service and so on trying to get to this this scene of destruction, and you know assist the victims in in this this attack, and uh, you can hear them talking to each other whilst telling women to calm down, whilst telling Alex Wright to back away and give him air, and it just again it feels like how that situation would be if it happened in real life. As opposed to when you see some other wrestling programs, when an ambulance turns up, and this is another point as well, an ambulance turns up, out comes the stretcher, on goes the body, on goes the neck brace, into the ambulance, off they go. (laughs) Now that just would not happen, especially if they're putting a neck brace on someone, you're looking at potential spinal injuries, neck injuries, whatever. They wouldn't move them for a long time. No, they wouldn't. I mean, that it goes back to, um, I think it was last year. Um, I don't know if you remember when MJF uh, had a match with Ward, Wardlow in AEW and they put him on the stretcher and they put the face mask on his chest because the um, paramedics wasn't looking and they just shoved it on his chest and then uh, car t- stretched him off out <laughs> of the arena. And it was just so ridiculous. But this was bloody brilliant. Um, the MVP for... The, uh, I don't want to criticise Anna's acting, but I think Chris Benoit's acting in this was brilliant because he looked distraught that his mentor had just been attacked. The same as um, Nancy, well, a uh, woman was also screaming, mm. as you said. But Chris Benoit looked like he was trying to cry, um, but his body wouldn't let him. But he did really look upset. He did. He did. Uh, and then, you know, you get little cameos as well, I suppose. And again, this... Again, it it kind of just adds to the realism. I mean, it's going to be something that I say a great deal about this whole segment, but it adds to the realism because if this was a heavily produced uh, segment on a wrestling show, 
which obviously in real life that's what it is but if it was made to if it wasn't made to feel as real as it is and we have the usual wrestling tropes especially wwe television production tropes you're going to get cameras on rick flair you're going to get cameras on sting you're going to get cameras on luger the, the big names and we're going to really focus on their reactions whereas that didn't happen here you got Alex Wright popping up here and there. You got uh, a very brief, quick shot of Miss Elizabeth as the camera spanned around. And she was looking distraught and upset and mortified by what she'd seen. Deborah's hanging around and Michael's there trying to calm her down and make sure she's okay. Just so much going on. As opposed to the you know, heavily rehearsed and overproduced aspects that we get sometimes in wrestling now. Yeah. It, it's just night and day, mate. It really mm. is. But, um, and you add, this was a, a fantastic segment, but I'll, I'll let you describe, um, what I described as the cherry on top, which was, um, what Bobby Heenan said. Ah, oh, yes. Heenan is just so good all the time at the moment in 96. Yeah. Uh, before we get there, there is one moment that was a little bit, oh, a little bit off for me, but it's a tiny little thing. We had um, Rey Mysterio without his mask, obviously getting strapped up and eventually put into the ambulance. And again, not rushed. The paramedics are taking their time, which is how it would really be. And Alex Wright is, says he's going to go with Ray to the hospital. And he's telling Eddie Guerrero, no, you don't need to come. You've got to concentrate on your match. His opponent is in the bloody ambulance with him. He's telling Eddie to stay behind for his match with Ray, whilst Alex Wright is getting in the ambulance with Ray. That makes no sense. <laughs> it doesn't. But oh yeah, they also mentioned um, Ray Mysterio uh, kept putting up um, or kept saying four, didn't he? Yes. Like, that was another big thing. I love that as well because you had Alex Wright saying he's speaking Spanish. I don't understand. Uh, and then Eddie Guerrero saying, I think he's saying that there was four of them. But again, it's it's not. It's not shoved down your throat. It's not no. a camera zooming in to Eddie Guerrero going, oh, my God, Ray said there is four of them. Mm. And then other people reacting, four of them? Oh, my goodness, more? And taking it in turns to speak. Yeah. Everyone's talking over each other. Everyone's trying to make sense of what's happened. And it just, again, I keep using the same term. And I, I wish I could find um, a, another way of, of vocalizing or verbalizing what I mean, but there's nothing more accurate than saying it. there's this sense of realism to what yeah. we are watching. They're reacting how people would react in that scenario, as yeah. opposed to taking it in turns to talk, waiting for their cue, really heavily rehearsed lines and so on. I mean, these people aren't professional actors, they're professional wrestlers. So of course there's a bit of corniness to it. There's a bit of cheesiness to it. I get that, but it was just, brilliant captivating television yeah it, it really was mate i mean this was fantastic i also loved when uh meng just arrived just too late because he's known as like a really really tough man so yes. if he got there first i don't think any of this would have happened but um he arrives um squares up to chris benoit and chris benoit says not now he repeats himself twice more and it's like we're, okay, we're throwing kayfabe out of the window. He's like, not now, this uh, fake wrestling storyline. Uh, this is a real thing that's happening here. We, we, you know, that's he's saying so much without saying anything. Yes, exactly. And we get more of that as well, don't we? We, um, 
uh, after we return back to the arena. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, I might as well cover it now. With regards to the breaking of kayfabe, as you say, Danny, we've got an ambulance with an injured Arn Anderson and an injured Marcus Bagwell, and accompanying them to the to the hospital is Sting and Flair. So you've got Sting and Flair in the same ambulance, you know, with Arn and Bagwell, just acting like acting like they they they're they're putting their characters to one side, and these are yeah. the real people. You're you're seeing, you know. Steve Borden there as opposed to Sting uh, and so on. It just is so bloody brilliantly done. It is, mate. But I also got a chuckle out of Ric Flair just going in there without a jacket or a T-shirt, just in his wrestling tights. <laughs> I worry about those nurses at that hospital, my friend. <laughs> but there we go. You mentioned uh, Bobby Heenan, though. Yeah. Now, this was the way you phrased that the, the cherry on top of the cake or whatever it was is yeah. absolutely spot on because that what we've seen already that's that's good enough what we've seen already is gold it's fantastic captivating television i could not look away and i believe you know you messaged me danny so you had to rewind it and watch it twice it was that good yeah, yeah i had to mate because it was oh, i just couldn't get enough and that that there, like I said, it would have been enough. That would have been, if they'd ended it there, that would have been perfect TV. Then they give you a little bit more. And it's the fantastic performance of Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, and the others. Heenan and Bischoff now, because we've ticked into our two. So Heenan and Bischoff are joining, well, not joining in the commentary team. They're arriving to take over from Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. But when they're there, all four of them are, are talking again, very acting, acting very solemn, very serious, as you know, very concerned about what what's happened. And Bobby Heenan, deadly serious. No Heenan, tongue-in-cheek jokes. No Heenan, sort of cocky attitude, or just trying to be silly and daft and entertaining. Heenan talks about his neck issues, and he turns to Eric Bischoff, who at this point, people knew he was in charge, but it hadn't actually been fully registered on television yet. You know, people knew, but it hadn't been referenced completely. And Heenan is turning to Bischoff and saying about his neck issues, he's got nerve damage and, you know, he gets one little tap or bump or anything happens. It can have real bad effects on his life. It's deadly serious. He's concerned. Um, he doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to complete the broadcast. He's concerned for his own safety. And then that was fantastic. He asks Bischoff, can Bischoff give him any confirmation or whatever about any protection they may have? But Bischoff turns around and says, I cannot guarantee your safety. So he then says, I've got to go and just leaves. Oh, man. And it's just, oh, it's fantastic. This, I mean, when we get to our award, the year end awards at the end, I, I know this is going to be on one of the awards because um, what made it for me this Bobby Heenan thing was we, um, when we were watching a um, Class of the Champions uh, not too long ago, and you saw Brian Pillman, um, the way Bobby Heenan acted when Brian Pillman uh, pulled off his jacket, that's what made me think when he was talking about his neck, he was like, Oh yeah, because he's dead serious about not getting hit. It's not um, not even getting touched. Um, mm. I don't know if I re- if this. If, I can't remember if where I read this, but I don't know if he had a um, 
uh, something in his contract that said he couldn't be touched. Um, I don't I'm know not if sure. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But, um, yeah, it was very, very serious the way he just uh, talked to him. And then when he just cleared off, it was like, okay, he'll be back in 10 minutes. But nope, he didn't come back. <laughs> and I love that. It, it's absolutely brilliant. And, I mean, th- that effectively ends that segment of the show shall we say if we're going to call it that it's it's a segment it's a it's a moment on the tv that effectively ends that but the repercussions of it run through the rest of the episode of nitro yeah and there's just one i've made of a note here is that the fans were chanting boring and getting restless oh yes (laughs) and but, but i think that and the announcers did make it part of the um angle as well because they were like oh, yeah, we've had too much to deal with. If they only knew what we had to do with backstage, they wouldn't be chanting boring. So they played off the crowd, and I really love that. Well, this is it. It's, it's a thing of, until it was mentioned, it didn't enter my mind, but we're watching this. It's all backstage. You think about that little tiny layout of uh, where they are in, in Disney MGM. There is no big screen. Mm. There is no Titatron, I guess they call it, in the WWF. There is no way of showing them backstage skits or moments so those fans who are sat in those seats they have no idea what they're, they're, they're looking at an empty ring <laughs> all they know is jimmy hart has come out waved his arms around frantically and squeaked a bit like he does and all the wrestlers are fucked off yeah and they're just I... sat there staring at an empty ring for a very very long time yeah i, I said it went uh, just over 10 minutes i think i was wrong this probably went just over 20 it was it was a big old section of the show, a really yeah. big chunk of the show. Um, which again, though, it th- there's two things that you can add to that as well, I suppose, with regards to the levels of realism and making it feel like it is what it is, as opposed to a produced segment. This dominated the show. This was a massive portion of their airtime. And it happened slap bang in the middle of the program. Mm. This wasn't, I mean, because this is the biggest thing that happens on this episode of Nitro. Spoiler alerts, people. It ain't going to get better than what we're talking about right now on this episode. It's not saved for the main event spot. It's not like CM Punk dropping his pipe bomb in 2011. Yeah, it's it's not like that where it's it feels off script. It feels legit. It feels real, but it's saved for the main event spot because it's going to be big and groundbreaking. That doesn't occur. This happens randomly in the middle of a match involving some of the biggest names in the company halfway through their show. Yeah. And just disrupting the rest of the card, including a world championship match that we were supposed to get and other matches. Exactly. And it's just that, that sense again, I keep using the term, but there's no other phrase for it. That sense of realism that that's added by the way this is done. Mm. And it makes you realize that you think the show opened with a clip of an attack on Sting from WCW Saturday Night. Here we are halfway through this Nitro, and we've seen barely any proper wrestling because it's been dominated by this attack. And then the aftermath of the attack, it's not just an attack. People get bundled into an ambulance and off they go. We've got this massive long aftermath as they're trying to give people medical attention and so on and get them in the ambulances. And And then we've got Bischoff and Tony Schiavone and so on talking on commentary about how they normally have standby matches for television programs, which of course they do if, if matches run short or there's injuries or whatever. 
So they're trying to get a standby match in the ring, but they add the words like we're scrambling backstage. Yeah. You know, people are frantically trying to get a match in the ring. So it really does feel like their running order, their whole show has been completely thrown off track. It yeah. feels like this NWO attack has destroyed this episode of Nitro. Yeah. And WCW don't know what to do. And they're panicking. Exactly. It's it's fantastic. It's so, so good. Yeah. Uh, after, like you said, Danny, a few boring chants from the crowd and so on, we do get a small NWO chant as well, as we see Sting getting in the ambulance with Flair and Arm, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I, I was wondering, was that, could this be the first NWO chant? I think we had it the week before, maybe. Uh, oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. You're right, when the production truck... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose we have to move on, I guess. But this all now, I'll be honest with you, this all now feels incredibly anticlimactic for the rest of the episode. I mean, there's not, even though we do get a few more wrestling matches and a segment I want to speak about in a moment, there's not much really to talk about wrestling-wise on this show now. Because the highlight of this episode has happened. It's, It's peaked. Yes, exactly. And it, as you explained, Danny, it's changed everything because we now have the Steiners who are coming out to face a team called High Voltage and High Voltage are making their debut on Nitro. And they weren't expected to wrestle that night, we're told. But now they've got this massive opportunity to wrestle on television. So good luck to them. So again, the, the, the attack by the NWO has influenced that. Um, Rick is acting, Rick Stein is acting incredibly distracted the whole way through, which I thought was a lovely touch. It's not just a case of, oh, that segment's finished. Let's get a match in the ring and away we go and pretend that previous segment didn't happen. We've got the guys in the ring acting distracted, acting worried that people are going to come up behind them, which just added even more paranoia and, you know, that air of, you know, unpredictability to the show once again, didn't it? It really did, mate. And you, I felt like when High Voltage was coming out, they weren't showing concern because these are just two guys who are trying to get an opportunity. They're going to capitalise on this opportunity. And they're just like, I mean, they're obviously heels. And they also have the worst theme music I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. It's not No, great. it's just a load of uh, fake electricity sounds. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait to see these guys get their faces smashed in. <laughs> and effectively, they did. Um, yeah. We do get a nice double drop kick from High Voltage. That looked quite good because they're not small guys and their timing on that was quite good. Um, the fella called Rage hits a top rope flying shoulder block, which again looked fairly decent. Uh, before the Steiners eventually win, when Scott Steiner hits this crazy suplex into a pile driver move that gets referenced as the Steiner screwdriver, yeah. which ended up, you know, seriously injuring many people. Not many, but enough. One is more than enough, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that move. Um, there's a YouTube um, video that has, like, all the times he did it, and it's just, I mean, now we know why he didn't do it um, later on in his run, but, yeah, really, really big fan of that move. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, what follows is our, what was going to be, I suppose, our Cruiserweight Championship match, but Ray is away at the hospital. So Eddie Guerrero still there gets his contest. Sadly, it's against Big Bubba, so it's going to be a massive drop in quality to what we potentially could have seen. And again, it just it just all feels so anticlimactic now. I mean, Bubba dominates this match. 
he's he's a bigger guy, he's more powerful and so on. Bubba effectively dominates this match with his strength and his size before Jimmy Hart tries to fo- throw the megaphone into the ring, Danny, to help Bubba. Yeah, and it's just anticlimactic is a powerful way of putting this, but it also is like, um, if I was a fan in that arena and I'd been told what had been um, promised to us, Eddie Grove versus Raymond Steele, I would have been pissed off at the NWO for that because of that. <laughs> Oh, you, you, I got all the way here, paid for this ticket, and now I'm getting Big Bubba Rogers versus Eddie Guerrero, and Big Bubba Rogers just um, applying so many um, submissions, just uh, probably too many in this match, because mm. for a long time, he was probably just trying to just long this out, because um, this was the semi-main event, and it was just like, okay, we've got to put in one more match after this, so let's just make this as long as we can. Yes, yeah, good shot. I mean, I suppose it... It is trying to fill for time because yeah. they are, they do have to get to what they want to do at the end, which is obviously promote the main event of the pay per view, which is coming up. We're still we're like one episode of Nitro away, I guess. Um, but yeah, they do have to fill a bit of time. It feels like I mean Eddie Guerrero wins with a sunset flip after Bubba drops the megaphone. Um, it's a bit of a messy finish, but it does the job. Guerrero wins with, with Bubba. Not looking too weak, I guess, as the yeah. bigger guy. But what follows that, Danny, is a moment of history. Oh, mate, this was really cool. Um, I don't think I'd seen this in its entirety either. I've just seen little clips from this. Mm. Um, I'd certainly never seen about Hulk Hogan's comments about the giant during it and his upcoming match. And Man, this and now I understand because I didn't know why were they why would they all say the following was paid for by um, the New World Order? I never got that, and now I understand why. It's because they're paying for airtime. They're just like we're going to disrupt you, and the biggest way to do that is to get on the air, not by WCW putting it on the air, but by themselves putting it on the air. Yeah, and it's it's not it's a clever. It's a clever touch that has been used in wrestling before. Mm. For I believe, and people out there in in the you know interwebs and Twitter land and so on, please correct me or message the show and let me know how wrong I am, because I think I am. But I believe it was TNA who most recently took out an advert. They paid for some ad, you know, paid for some ad time during a commercial break on an episode of Raw or SmackDown. Yeah advertising their show i think aw may have also done that advertised yes. advertised rampage maybe during an episode of smackdown so it's the same sort of thing because they're they're buying ad time it's really clever yeah and had this ever been done in wrestling before this how do you mean sorry like a stable um well i guess like a stable who was against fighting against the company say like um the four horsemen they have they ever done something like this no, 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 no. Because, I mean, I suppose the big difference with the NWO is that they're a, an outside faction invading. Oh, yeah. Whereas everyone else, the horsemen, um, whoever else was, you know, the fucking Dungeon of Doom <laughs> and all this sort of stuff, um, they all they all were employees of the company, weren't they? And we're supposed to believe yeah. here that the NWO are not. But oh. this is... One of those famous vignettes, you know, you get the, you get the voice of um, I can't, I can never remember the fella's name. Um, that was Neil Pruitt. That's it, Pruitt. Yes, I was going to say Doug Pruitt for some reason. I don't know why. But yeah, <laughs> Neil Pruitt. Yeah, he was a producer for WWTV at the time. Yeah, 
and shot numerous brilliant vignettes and so on, which we're going to get to, especially towards the end of the year, with some of the television that we'll see going into Starcade. He was a big part in shooting some of these quite historic television scenes. His voice is the voice that says, you know, the following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. And we get, to my knowledge, Danny, the music for the first time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, The the logo for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not the shirts, but um, it's on the shirts in some portions of this, isn't it? Yeah, because it's kind of like shone onto the screen, and you know, the famous NWO logo, the the graffiti writing and so on. It's really, really cleverly done. It looks cool. It looks edgy. And when you look at Randy Savage in his neon jacket and Sting in his orange and blue for this particular episode, and then you've got Mike Enos, who was formerly one of the Beverly Brothers, dressing up like some kind of weird cowboy. And um, high voltage in bright pink. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got this in black and white. Really random camera cuts. You know, uh, the the cool music in the background. Scott Hall is the man. He just is it's just a complete dude. The way he's talking, the way he's acting, the, the hair, you know, everything about it. And then Hogan completely abandoned because, oh, I just remembered. I'm wrestling the giant. I totally forgot about that. It's just so dismissive of their world champion, which on one hand I should hate, but it's done so well. It's it's just brilliant television again. I loved it when um, Hall turns around and goes, we've got a big important question. Hey, Lex, how much do you bench press? How much do you lift, brother? And all it's just mocking the fact that Luger loves his body so much. It's just so good again. I mean, with regards to these vignettes and the, these these segments and these NWO announcements, breaking them down and talking about how they're filmed and made and so on, I think is going to be probably best saved for our next NWO bonus episode, Danny. Yeah, absolutely, mate. But yeah, with regards to what we see here, it's just so cool, isn't it? I think the biggest thing I took away from this is um, Hulk Hogan dismissing the giant, like you just said, is perfect storytelling because we are seeing the giant on television openly complain about, um, hey, I'm the world champion. I'm the most important thing here. And he does later on in this episode uh, go along with those comments. He's like, Oh, if Hulk Hogan thinks he can dismiss me, I'll show him. But the thing is, they're kind of right about all of this. Yeah. Because this is now coming to the end of this episode of Nitro. We've got what is effectively our main event next with the giant um, who was supposed to be taking on Arn Anderson, but we have a substitute, which we'll get to in a moment. Until Hogan turned round and said, Oh, I've just remembered. I, I'm wrestling the giant at the pay-per-view, aren't I? I've got I've, for the WCW world title. The NWO stuff was so good and riveting that I completely forgot who the world champion was. I forgot that the world title existed. Wow. For those moments of television. The giant yeah. the giant did not enter my mind until Hogan brought him up. And I think that really shows how impactful this this segment that the NWO this beat down that this almost show long in a way probably seventy five percent of the show is dominated yeah. by by this particular you know crazy chaotic carnage we see it is mate and and for them to buy um, television time just before the Giants match as well is also playing mind games isn't it it is it is I mean that TV time oof, that can't be cheap. 
I wonder no. where they're getting. I wonder where they're getting the money from, Danny. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> we then have a recap from our commentary team. Minus Eric Bischoff, he has left. And Tony Schiavone says he's not just an announcer here. He's our executive producer. He has to go and deal with various different stuff going on. Wow. Uh, National News has been calling WCW, apparently. <laughs> Bischoff said before he left. I'm not too sure how accurate that is. But again, it, it makes it feel important and, and yeah. spectacular. We get a recap, like I said, of the uh, NWO attack and the, the fallout from that from early on in the evening. And then we come to our main event in this episode of Nitro in 1996, with the NWO being fantastic and the seven-foot monster, the giant, defending his world heavyweight title against Greg the fucking Hammer Valentine. Oh, <laughs> all that build-up, sir. And I have to tell you something. My notes wrote, I wrote down, I fucking love that Greg the, the Hammer Valentine is in a world championship match in 1996. <laughs> He's main eventing Nitro. Uh, in 90s, Nitro is the hottest. It's not just a catchphrase at this stage that Tony Schiavone reels out. Nitro is the hottest wrestling television program in the world. Yeah. It is the standard for this business. And Greg Valentine is in their main event. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it because do you remember? Um, I think it was about four or five weeks ago. Greg Valentine showed up and wrestled Macho Man, and I was so surprised. I was like, "Wow, they're giving Greg a payday here!" Now they pushed him straight to the main event in a World Championship match, and it just feels weird because why would the Giant be defending his World Championship when he's already got a, a World Title match set at the pay per view? We could see, be seeing Greg Valentine versus Hollywood Hogan. Could you imagine if Valentine had somehow won that match? <laughs> and it was Greg the Hammer Valentine defending the not just the world title, but the whole of WCW against this invading faction. My goodness. I'll, I'll believe it. <laughs> You're a clown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I also wrote down a question for you, Si. Is, um, what, was Greg Valentine more of a mid-card wrestler throughout his career, or was he a main eventer? Yeah, he, he never, he never like had a sustained run at the top of the card um, in a big company. Mm. So in the, uh, I, I, we'll we'll look at NWA and, and and the territories and so on. I guess um, he was very much kind of, he, he had matches over the US title and so on. Cage matches with Roddy Piper, the dog collar match with Roddy Piper. Sorry, that was incredibly famous. But he never, the era he was in with regards to the NWA and, and the touring world champion, he wouldn't have ascended to the very tip top of the card because you had Harley race, um, who was the guy for a long period for many, many years. Yeah. And then when race kind of stepped down or his career slowed down and he went to the WWF for a, a, one big last payday, that's when flair kind of ascended to, to that role. Uh, so you never had Valentine on top on that side of the divide. With regards to New York, oh, sorry, with regards to WWF, uh, he had an Intercontinental title run at one stage in the in in you know way 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 back. He had a tag team title run with Brutus Beefcake as part of the Dream Team around the same time as the you know the British Bulldogs were the team that dethroned them. I believe it was a WrestleMania two. I want to say so. That's like eighty six. That gives you a rough idea of the time frame we're talking. So. 
he wouldn't ever have ascended to the top of the card there either because this is prime Hulkamania era. Uh, he may have had the odd, as a heel, he may have wrestled towards the top end facing the big baby faces, but he never had a sustained run on the top of the card. I don't ever remember him holding any version of a world championship. I got you, mate. Yeah, thank you for that. Because I was just wondering, I was like, why would they put him in the main event? But it it makes sense because, um, as we were saying earlier, they were scrambling. But I just find it hard to believe Greg Valentine was just standing backstage in catering. <laughs> what about that robe, though, Danny? What did you think about that robe? <sighs> so good. I mean, this is this is Greg Valentine's known for his robes, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, totally. It did look great. It did look great. I mean, with regards to so I suppose going back even earlier in Valentine's career, he had a spell at Mid-Atlantic as well, but he only held tag titles there. Uh-huh. Um, he never really ascended to the top end of the card. You know, I mean, he had a spell. I, I think, again, I could be completely wrong, and people will have to c- correct me on Twitter if I am, but I'm going to try and just off the top of my head, like from shit I've read and watched. I think he might at one stage have held a tag title with Ric Flair. Oh, wow. But I'm not sure where. And this would have been when the, it may have been one or two short reigns, and then Flair went up into the main event picture, whereas Valentine kind of stayed where he was. Um, he, he Again, he had a spell in the WWF when it was owned by Vince's dad. Um, a short spell there. He, I mean, he did take on Bob Backlund at one point. I think he was a challenger. But I mean, Backlund was champion for so long in the late 70s going into the early 80s that so many people challenged him. It wasn't like it was a, a, a big deal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I get you, mate. But yeah, there was um, his career was spent hopping back and forth really between the NWA and the WWF. Couple of years here, a couple of years there. Then working the territories. Then a couple of years here, a couple of years there. And I mean, by this stage in his career, he looks dated, doesn't he? Not just not just his gimmick. I mean, his gimmick is it, that's an odd thing to say, I suppose, because Flair has the bleached hair and the robes as well. But Flair still is very much uh, a prominent main event guy. But Valentine. He looks dated to me. His body, his physique, everything about him looks 80s wrestling. And here we are in 96. Does that make sense? It does, mate. And just as you were speaking there, um, I did look it up. Ric Flair and um, Greg Valentine were the Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champions. But I can't find the year, but I've got a picture of them holding the championship. So you was bang on with that. Okay. See, for some reason, I, I, I thought I was, I was 99% certain it was Flair. And then completely at random, I had the name Ronnie Garvin pop in my head. <laughs> and then I, yeah. that, that's what was hanging me up. That's what I was stumbling over. I was thinking, what? I'm fairly certain it was Flair. But then in the back of my mind, I was like, am I wrong? And was it Ronnie Garvin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. They won the tag team championships on December the 12th, 1976. Okay. Right. Well, then, yeah, that would have been before Flair's proper ascension up the card. I yep. imagine... Um, you said that was Mid-Atlantic, did you? Yeah, Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. I imagine then Flair would have been uh, knocking around with the US title as well in, in the, the immediate aftermath of that before heading up the card and start. Because he won his first world title in 81, I want to say, against yeah. Harley Race. So, yeah, he'd have been on his way up the card. And I imagine Valentine would have just stayed where he was or maybe even have gone back and worked in New York again after yeah. that. 
I think he was there. Well, yeah, if he went, if he was, I remember him definitely having a match against Backland for the WWWF title. So if they won the tag titles in 76 with Flair in Mid-Atlantic, after that, he would have gone to New York because Backland held the title. He dropped it in 83 and he held it for six years. So he would have won it, you know, yeah, that would have made sense timeline-wise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We can avoid it as much as we want, Danny. We can skirt around it and talk about mid-Atlantic tag team wrestling as much as we like. But I suppose we do need to talk about this Greg Valentine match. Yeah. The giant wins with a chokeslam. That's kind of all I've got. (laughs) I wrote down, um, Hammer starts out with some stiff clotheslines, but ultimately just gets a violent-looking top-rope chokeslam. And then another chokeslam, just for good measure. Um, at one point, uh, Greg Valentine did hit a double axe handle, but um, Giant Noel sold it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, after the match, we have Mean Gene talking with the Giant and Jimmy Hart. I do like this because this show has obviously been dominated by the NWO, but having the Giant get in the final say, even though Jimmy Hart does have a few words, the Giant gets the final say. And his promo, he he does a Hogan impression, which I thought was quite a decent Hogan impression. Yeah. And then starts talking about how easy it is for people to believe anything people tell them. Hogan's a liar. Hogan's this. Um, We get a very small NWO chant going on. And the giant is saying that he's going to destroy him at Hogwild. And it's decent enough promo, I think, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it, since the beginning of this um, project, we've, we've just said like the Giants promos. I've, I've no after this as well as they've always been too cartoony for me. And him bringing up Andre the Giant, I've never been a fan of. But no. this, he was very serious in this because it's been going for weeks now. He's really been feeling disrespected because he's almost been say, um, looked as an afterthought uh, throughout a lot of this. So as his world championship reign. So he's like, yeah, like I, it's time to get serious now. I'm going to take you down Hulk Hogan, going to take you down NWO. And this was just, yeah, it was it's probably his best promo um, that I've seen since we were doing this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Really good stuff from the giant, really good stuff. And that's the end of the show. Uh, next week's episode of Nitro, I believe Danny, if I've got my dates right, is the go home edition yeah. before the pay-per-view. It is. Yeah. Okay, so I imagine we're going to get lots of excitement and stuff going on there. <laughs> well, I would hope so, anyway, heading into the pay-per-view. Just just before we um, cut off the air, we get a really odd replay of uh, Rey Mysterio getting thrown into the uh, trailer, don't we? Yeah, and the sound is a bit off, isn't it, and stuff? Yeah, I, I found that a bit odd because there's like... Um, why would WCW re-show that in terms of kayfabe? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I didn't really think of that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, um, I suppose then with that being the end of the episode of Nitro all that is left for us to do Danny is rate the episode uh, go through our positives and our negatives our woos and our oh brothers my friend Woo! brother 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 brothers brother Woo! brother would you like to go first or second I'll go second this week mate Okay, I will start with my O brother, my negative, because I like to try and finish on a positive. Uh, my O brother is, uh, it sounds harsh because he's just doing his job at that particular stage in his life, years have advanced on and so on. But it's Greg Valentine in the main event. They could have found somebody else, couldn't they? 
Yeah, they could have found. I love Greg Valentine, but he just didn't feel like he fit in the yeah. World Championship match. <laughs> What's your O oh, brother? My, mine would be um, the Marquinhos uh, Duggan match. Just went way going way too long. Um, okay, I think they could have shaved easily have shaved off five minutes off of that. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be mine, mate. Fair enough. Um, our woos then, our positives. I'm going to hazard a guess. We're going to be very close with what our woos are. Mine is everything NWO on this episode. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yourself? Yeah, it's very much so. It's the whole backstage uh, segment that we uh, sat through and really enjoyed. And also just shout out to every wrestler that was there, whether they were selling on the floor or selling for the camera, just like showing emotion. Um, just putting over how serious it was, but Scotty Riggs just looking like he'd been run over with a truck as well on the floor. He really looked like he was just like, well, I doubt we'll ever see him again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the NWO stuff was just, I mean, Bobby Heenan, Eric Bischoff, yeah. Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko, everybody involved on this episode sold it perfectly. It was just yeah. brilliant television. Um, I don't think I need to ask this question, but it is part of the show. Hit, miss or middling, Danny? Massive hit, mate. Yes, massive hit for me too. I would go as far as to say, and this is going to be really contradictory for me with regards to the in-ring product being something that's really, really important to me as a wrestling fan. I watch wrestling for wrestling. As I say it often enough, it says wrestling on the poster. That's what drags me in. However, there's not a lot of wrestling on this show. We've got a very short title match. We've got a bit of a rubbish Eddie Guerrero Bubba match. The six man tag was decent, but ended in a non finish because of what happened. And then the the Enos Duggan match that opened the show wasn't much to write home about either. No. So wrestling wise, on this particular episode of Nitro, the July 29th, nine ninety six episode, wrestling wise, there's not much there to you know tick the box for me looking for in ring action. Yeah. However. I think I would take this episode of Nitro when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to how I couldn't take my eyes off the screen, when it comes to how brilliant everyone involved from the moment Hall and Nash arrived right the way through to the close of the show were. I think you can take this episode of Nitro and put it up against anything we have watched on Nitro Nights and it would hold its own. Absolutely, mate. Very well said. So there we go. A massive, massive hit from the pair of us. I wonder where we will be heading next week. You know, one week away from the pay-per-view. Hogwild, Hogan versus the Giant, WCW World title, plus Sting and Luger versus the Outsiders. Loads going on at that pay-per-view. Uh, but we have one more stop on the road to Hogwild. One more stop on the path to Sturgis. And that's one more Nitro next week. Danny. Before we go, do you want to let everybody out there listening know exactly where they can find you and all the fantastic shows you are involved in? Yep, mate. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be breaking down the um, pre-Hog um, Wild Nitro with the great Cy Powell. 
Oh, well, you're very kind. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, anything I'm involved in, as always, you can find on the network that carries this show. So all you need to do is check out SJP World Media on all of your podcast players, platforms, and providers, and also follow the network on Facebook and Twitter at SJP World Media. Loads of wrestling, past and present, loads of TV projects there as well. More coming down the line. I had somebody literally message me this afternoon about whether they, you know, whether I would be interested in carrying a show of theirs, looking at another television show for somebody that, again, I think it's going to be a good little project and a good addition to the network. Loads of stuff coming. So make sure you are following the network everywhere you possibly can. And most importantly as well, because it means a massive, massive deal to the network, the shows and the hosts. Make sure you are subscribed on your podcast platforms, whether that's Google, Spotify, Apple, whatever. You're subscribed to the streams you enjoy, the main network stream, the main network uh, channel at SJP World Media, where all the new episodes go up every single week. There's a, pretty much a new episode every day of the working week, sometimes weekends too. And also the shows you enjoy specifically so if it is just nitro nights please subscribe and like and so on and hit the notification bell and all that good stuff on the nitro nights specific stream and then please give us a big lovely review you uh, if you feel that we do a good enough job to warrant five stars it would mean a massive deal to all of us involved with the network the shows and the hosts it costs you nothing but if you enjoy what we do it's really beneficial to us with regards to other people finding the shows and the more ears that are on the product, then the easier it becomes in the future for us to keep producing the shows the network produces. So I would uh, hugely appreciate that and thank you in advance if you do that. And thank you also, I suppose, to those who already do. Uh, but most importantly, you can follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter. And that's at Nitro underscore Nights at Nitro underscore Nights, and at SJP World Media. Danny, I can say it this week and mean it. It's been a blast again, my friend. Me too, mate. We have to fire up the motorcycles because we've got a pay-per-view soon. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'll be trusted. I've got a scooter out the back, maybe, or a push bike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak to you next week, bud. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>